What's going on, man? I feel like I need to uh, nap for a couple weeks after uh, this the, the tournament, man. That was the madness of March at its best for the women's <laughs> bracket. How was it? How was it? It was unbelievable, man. You know, I think it, what's really cool is, you know, I've seen the growth and development of the women's game and the interest in it over the last, you know, 10 years that I've been involved. Uh-huh. And then to... To see it pop, the way that it popped, like uh, the numbers we did for the championship game, they not only set the record, they obliterated the record for the most viewed women's college basketball game we've ever had. Yeah, I mean, the, the final four, though, I feel like, I mean, I'm not even trying to be funny, but like my group chats were talking about the 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 Iowa and South Carolina game. Yeah. And then into the championship game, like it was – I mean, it was it was everywhere. It was crazy. So it was it's good to see, um, you know, people that are interested. But you have to give the, these women credit. It's because of they, the way they play basketball. Bingo. You know what I mean? It's watching Angel Reese. It's watching Caitlin Clark. It's like it's watching Leah Boston. Like these these girls, these women are playing at a level that you know you have to tune in. You know what I'm yes. saying? Like you you feel like you're missing something if you miss the game at this point. So. You have to give a lot of these young women credit for the way they play basketball, getting people to tune in. That phrase you just used, see, I think is so key. You feel like you're missing something if you miss this game. Yeah. That's where this is elevated to, the fact that it is primary in your group chat. Yeah, I mean, it was was in in group chats that, you know, that are not sports group chats. You know what I'm saying? Yes, yes, yes. Just primarily watching because it's the championship game. Um, yeah, it, it was cool to, to, to actually be a part of that. It was, it was dope. It was amazing, man. I, um, you know, one of the things that I love too is we get to know these women, you know, a little better throughout the, you know, days in advance because of the conversations we have with them, meeting with the coaches, meeting with the players. Um, and I, I was just, uh, blown away with how impressive they all were across the board. You know, whether you sit down with a, in a Leah Boston or a Zaya Cook or a Victoria Saxton from South Carolina, or you're talking with Angel Reese or Ladeja Williams for LSU or Caitlin Clark or Monica Sonano or Kate Martin from Iowa. All of these women are so impressive when you talk with them. And, and so it makes you even more excited for them as they have this success and as they get the recognition they deserve. Um, so it was fun. I need to rest now, but I can't rest. See, I can't rest. So, um, what, I, you got? Uh, what you got coming up? I got, as we record this now, I got Nets Timberwolves and then I hey, got, Hey, I'm there. And I'm there. Oh, I'm really? There. Oh, I'm I don't the, see I'm you there. The owner of the Timberwolves. Oh, is Alexander Emmanuel Rodriguez going? He's going to be there tonight. Oh, baby. All right. Sounds good. <laughs> Sounds good. There we go. So I got that. And then I got Bulls Bucks. Then I get a few days off. Although I was like, next year, I take the week off after the final four. Like, no questions asked. I yeah, just need some time, like, man. You need, a, you need to rest, man. I'm, uh, I'm headed to Augusta this week, bro. So we're recording this the week of the Masters. So yeah. I'm excited. I'm excited. It's going to be great, man. Hey, see, we should do our, uh, our, our weekly check-in on the rule changes for baseball real briefly. How about this? Through the season's first 50 games, the average game time has been two hours and 39 minutes, down 25 minutes from last year's average. 
Dog, it's crazy. It's crazy that we keep harping on like the time of the game because it sounds weird, like we're trying to shorten the game. But it, we're not missing any action. You know what I'm saying? Like yesterday, I went to the Yankee game. First of all, I went to the first game against the Phillies. And, you know, the action was great at, you know, two hour and 30 something minute game. But yep. during the day yesterday, I watched the uh, Brewers and Mets play two, uh, two and a half hour game. And it was 10 to nothing. Like we got I got all the action I needed. And it was still uh, two and a half hours. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, yeah. It's been amazing to see um, just the the amount of dead time that's out of the game now so yeah um I'm, I'm i'm really loving you know what i'm seeing the first couple first 50 games i guess of the season and and speaking of the action stolen bases are up 37 percent. the success rates 84 percent, which is the highest steal rate we've had since 1997 um it's it's exciting man and then more specifically the way judge has started Volpe stealing a base in each of his th first three games. The way Adley Rutschman came out of the gates, you know, with an Orioles team that people are Joey excited Gallo about. Is on fire. Yeah, man. Yes, yes. How about how about the Rangers, man, sweeping the Phillies in that in their opening series? Bro, I was arguing with uh, Chris Young in spring training because I said I think the Rangers are going to be really good, man. Like, yeah, I just like with with their with their building. And, I, you know, I love DeGrom, but I think Eovaldi will be the biggest piece that they got this offseason because he is a guy that's going to take the, the ball every fifth day. He'll pitch through bullshit. He'll go to the bullpen if you need him. He's just a fucking gamer. And, and when yeah. you have a guy like that in your clubhouse that's one, and he's such a nice guy, like, he changes the culture. It's a, it's a culture shift when he walks into your clubhouse. So um, I know I've known Evo for a long time. I love the I love the guy. And I think he's gonna be. I think he's gonna be huge for Rangers, for the Rangers organization, not just on the mound, but just shifting the culture and getting them headed towards you know what what we think should be a, a better franchise in, in the West. I that's a great point, C, and some insider perspective. And they're really, I mean, they've spent money on some key players over the last couple of years. They're an interesting team, very yeah. interesting team. And then we're getting ready to talk with Yancy Almonte. Uh, the outstanding reliever for the Los Angeles Dodgers, and see the Dodgers. You know, despite everybody they've lost, you know, once again they're finding ways to win games. Right, like their first three wins, they score eight, ten, thirteen runs. So, eh, no, all all the people they lost, no problem at all. Hey, yeah, you get Chase Thompson going deep three times in the game. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like, so it's it's just, I mean. And I, I feel like this is what we talked about earlier on the pod is is that they are so deep, um, just in, in their in their, within the organization, yeah. that it shouldn't be a problem for them to go out and, and still be able to to compete in this division. I still think the Padres are going to win a division, yeah. but I think the Dodgers should be right there competing in the division. Well, Yancy Almonte, outstanding reliever for the Dodgers last year, in thirty three appearances, pitched to an ERA of one oh two. This year, he's already picked up a win in relief for the Dodgers, and he's a really interesting guy that I think gives great insight into exactly what C is talking about, the Dodgers machine, and why they are as effective as they are. So without further ado, here is Yancy Almonte on R2C2. Well, Yancy, thanks for joining us, man. Welcome to R2C2. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate you, bro. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, thank you. You know, I, I think one thing 
that we definitely are, are always fascinated by is the Dodgers and the development of players, most specifically pitchers. And we've talked to Walker Bueller about it in the past. You're someone who it really interests us, I think, because you know you had a few years at Colorado, had a really good 2020 season, years bookending it up and down. Last year, incredible year with the Dodgers. You pitched to an ERA of essentially one, 102, become a, a, a huge piece out of the bullpen for them. What is it, do you think, about the Dodgers organization where they seem to very consistently get the most out of pitchers, whether it's yourself or whoever else? Uh, I think what helped me coming over last year was they kept it simple. They pretty much just told me to pitch to my strength. So I, I struggled coming through the minor leagues with Colorado even before that with the White Sox and Anaheim, where I struggled to get down the way with my heater because I had that natural run. So the Dodgers last year told me, have your dorm sinker. I said I did when I was a starter, but I didn't throw it when I was in the big leagues because Colorado needed just a hard four seam and just go off the slider with that. So they pretty much told me we want you to eliminate the four seam and just throw straight sinkers to your arm side. You're not going to face many lefties. And if you do, it's going to be sliders and four seams up because we don't really worry about that right now. We want you to pitch your strengths. And sure enough, I did it last year in spring training. So I did a lot of weak contact, broke some bats, and I got the confidence in myself to go out there and just pitch every day. How cool is that, that they can just keep it that simple? You know what I mean? Like, just it's and it sounds like it's something that you should always do is like pitch to your strengths. But that was something that I had to learn, too, is myself. Like, just getting comfortable with yourself is just being able to execute your pitch and knowing that that's going to get the guy out. Yeah, I mean, I agree. Like I said, I, I struggled. I mean, I, facing lefties when I was in Colorado and pitching to the Dodgers, pitching to Cody Bellinger, Jock Peterson, those guys, Corey Seager, and it's like, hey, you got to show them in. If not, they're going to dive over the plate. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to get it in there. And sure enough, I either I'll pull it completely off the plate or hit them mm. or back over the plate. And I'm looking back, trying a new ball. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Yancy, had you thrown a sinker before? I did. I did. Uh, Jose Bautista with the White Sox showed me how to throw a sinker. He showed me a different grip, more like a one seam grip. And I was working with that for a second. But last year, I talked to Blake Trinan and it just came in a traditional two seam grip. And he pretty much told me that. The way he threw it was just he was throwing a four seam with a two seam grip. I always thought I had to roll with the the sinker, and he's like, "You don't want to do that. You just want to throw it like your four seam and just let the the grip work for yourself." And that's when I started seeing it go from ninety one, ninety two to four to six, four to seven. That's it, incredible. When you say roll it, what what do you mean by that? So I was over pronating, trying to make it move. Mm. And that was my problem. And the bullpen coach told me the same thing because I, I had one outing. I'll never forget. It was last year's spring training. It was like my second outing throwing sinkers consistently. And I'm in the bullpen and I'm looking back and I'm like, hey, it's not moving. And he said, oh, it is. He goes, think about it. The ones you don't see move are the good ones. The ones you see move, the hitter sees the move. And I was like, oh, okay. That, that makes sense. <laughs> wow. That's a really interesting perspective. And that that was night and day to me. I was like, okay, now I know. I just had had to kind of sit middle, let it work, and sure enough, I was getting swings over the ball. I was getting guys jammed inside out. I was like, okay, yeah, this is I can do this. Man, that that's that's like the the simplest form. Like Ryan, there's no way like people don't explain pitching like that. You know what I'm saying? 
where, you know, pitch to your strengths or in the bullpen, you know, the ones that you don't see are the ones that are moving good. You know what I'm saying? So it just helps you trust whatever you're doing. And for them to be able to simplify it like that, it makes you understand why the Dodgers are so good. Yeah. I mean, I also think it would have to, it would have to take a moment or have to be difficult or it takes a certain mentality to adopt that as quickly as you did, Yancy, right? Because you're pitching one way your entire career. All of a sudden it's, hey, here's a pitch that you've messed with a little bit, but it hasn't been a, a huge part of your repertoire. We want you now to use this essentially as the fulcrum of your repertoire and be comfortable and confident throwing it. When you, what, what about the moment in time you were in at that moment made you feel confident to take that advice and run with it? Because yes, the team has some level of authority, but ultimately it is your career. I mean, for me, uh, 2021 was a terrible year, in my opinion. It's probably my worst year in baseball. And I think a lot of it happened because I was overthinking on, okay, this is my platform for going to arbitration. I need to do well. Mm. I'm coming for a good 2020 season. I do the same thing again. I'm going to get paid, take care of my mom, take care of the family. And I let that get ahead of me instead of just like going out there and pitching the way I did in 2020. But coming to call it, coming to the Dodgers and they're telling me, hey, throw this pitch, trust it. You're going to get the right move. You're going to get the right profile. They brought down the analytics, set me down. Mark Pryor and Carmen just set me down. They told me straight up, hey, this is your profile on your four seam. It stinks. It's not good. You just throw hard. I was like, okay. He goes, now nah, you throw you threw a two seam in 2021, 4% of the time, and look at the numbers here. Everything was green on the chart. And I was like, okay, what does that mean? He goes, you need to throw this. I was like, okay. And sure enough, in spring training, I, I struggled. I walked a couple guys because I, I didn't have that uh, line of sight of where I wanted to start the pitch. And like I said, I was trying to roll the pitch, trying to make it move, trying to make it nasty. Sure enough, it's one, two, I mean, one, oh, two, oh, three, oh, I'm walking the guy. And then whenever I get mad, it's like, all right, just sit middle and trust it and threw it, get a ground bottle to play, innings over. They're like, hey, all right, everything's good now. You just got to make sure you get ahead of the count. And sure enough, I just told the catcher, sit middle. I'm just going to mm -hmm. throw it. They hit it, they hit it, they don't, they don't. And that's when I started getting 01, 02, broken bag, weak ground ball. And like the second week doing that in spring training, that's when I figured out, all right, give a base hit. In my head, I already had the sinker grip in my hand. I'm not throwing anything else. Throw it next pitch, ground ball of the play, got out of the inning, and that's when I got that confidence that I knew, okay, we can do this. And sure enough, when I got to AAA and I started doing it, started closing, started doing very well, I didn't care who was hitting. You can put Barry Bonds to hit. I was, in my head, I was going to get him out. Mm. That's awesome. That's amazing. Yeah, I love that. And I think it gives us some insight, too, into just the Dodgers organization. The other part of it is, Yancy, so you, you're pitching – all of a sudden in critical spots for a team with World Series expectations. That's obviously very different from what you had experienced in Colorado. And I know, you know the stints in the minor leagues, getting back to that point then with the Dodgers, how did you deal with the pressure of not just performing with your new arsenal, but performing for a team that had great expectations? I mean, it was tough at first, you know, because uh, I still had that doubt in my mind that I can't go back to what I did last year in 2021. I have to go out here and prove myself and do what I know how to do. And I think what hit home was when I first got called up last year with the Dodgers and we were playing the Phillies. 
And I, I think the, I don't think I pitched the first game. I pitched the second game. I'm, I'm correct. And I get thrown to go pitch to Castellanos, Harper, and these guys. And in my head, I got thrown to the fire right away. Like, <laughs> like it's here or nothing. Here it is. And, yeah. And growing up, I struck out four of the six. And from there, just like confidence went up. And I was like, I'm, I'm making these all-stars look silly. This is this is confidence I knew I had before. And I just had to go out there and just continue to repeat it. And then you feel a part of the, the, the culture, right? Like you feel a part of what we're trying to do. You feel a part of what we're trying to build. When you get that confidence, you can go out there and, and no, and the guys, when they see you running in from the bullpen, they get excited too. Cause they know the inning's about to be finished. Oh yeah, man. I, I got that confidence. I mean, I, I felt like they included me very well. I give thanks to Mookie Betts, Freddie Freeman, those guys, Justin Turner before he signed with the Red Sox, obviously this year, those guys came up to me and they told me, Hey, we've seen what you can do in Colorado. We just glad you're in our side now. And hearing that just gave me confidence. Like, hey, all right, I struggled last year, but these guys, they knew what I can do. So I felt like I was at home and obviously from the front office down, coaches, everyone, they knew what I can do. And just seeing the confidence they had in me gave me more confidence in myself. You guys, I mean, the Dodgers have been obviously a consistent contender for a while now, but lost some very significant pieces this offseason. Some guys who had been a part of this core for a while, whether it was Justin Turner or Cody Bellinger or, or you know, Trey Turner, Tyler Anderson, Craig Kimbrell, all you know, varying degrees of experience during this Dodgers run, some of them there for quite a while. Has there been a noticeable change in the feel of the team after losing some of the core of what has been a really sustained run for this organization? I feel like, yeah, you, you lose, you lose Trey, who's obviously an elite baseball player. You lose JT, who's kind of that leader in the locker room. And for me, it's just tough because last year was my first year there. So I didn't really get to know those guys all that well mm. and seeing them go. But the guys we brought in this year, Peralta, Miguel Rojas, those guys, they're, they're just electrifying. They're loud. They, they bring that energy. And I feel like that's what that was JT because, uh, Trey, Trey was the guy who's going to come out there and play. Trey and Fred are locked in every day. Mookie, they're locked in every day. They know what they have to do. But you have Peralta, who's do, he's doing his freight train stuff in the locker room. <laughs> you know, it's loud, and it just brings that energy, and I feel like we're going to be in a good place, even without those guys that we lost. And just that, that winning culture that is, in, is instilled in the Dodgers organization, the guys still feel like we can still do it. Yeah, you need that one or, or two guys that, like, keep it loose, right? You, everybody knows when you play for those good organizations, whether it's the Dodgers or the Yankees or whoever, that you're there to win every day. But when you have guys that come in and can make it fun throughout the summer, it just alleviates a little bit of pressure to let the guys go out and do what we're ultimately there to do. It's like win a fucking baseball game every single day. Exactly. You know, you're you're part of, an, uh, uh, I think, a, a special club where we featured other members of that club on R2C2 before, Yancy, and that is the 305 Club, the, yeah. the, the Miami Club. You're 28 years old. Who from the Miami area, if anybody, who's in the majors now, did you play against or, or play with growing up or hear about growing up? I mean, we heard about, for me, it was Manny Machado. We heard about him a lot. And before Manny Machado, my older brother played with uh, – well, played against Yandre Alonso. He nice. played against Yasmani Grandal. I went to UM games to go see uh, Mr. 305 himself, John Jay. 
(laughs) Those are guys I looked up to. They they were, they were in UN, they they were bashing, they were doing their stuff. And I want to be like them. Those are guys I want to be like, I was a center fielder. I thought I could hit. Obviously I couldn't, but I want to be them. Those are the guys that I looked up to. Man, that's dope that you guys have that culture down there. And so many guys, like just the lineage. I mean, whether it starts like with A-Rod and then comes, you know, goes all the way down. But it's cool to have. Do you work out with any of those guys in the offseason? Um, no, that you never, No? Never you don't, you don't see that? I wish I could have. <laughs> I never got the chance to. Yeah, that would have been cool. When, when you're – I always think this is interesting because I can even remember, it, you know, as a kid playing baseball growing up in high school, you hear about – you know, dudes from nearby towns, right? And their legend grows. And then you see them go on to do great things, whoever whoever it ends up being. What kind of tales were told about young Manny Machado and his excellence? Because it just feels like he must have been a beast as a teenager. I mean, I, I obviously never got to play against him, but all the stuff you heard about him and his school district was walk him. Don't, don't, <laughs> don't pitch him. Just walk him. He's going to go yard at some point during the game. Just walk him. If you get him out, celebrate. And he, he, was, he was the guy. He was the guy that everyone was afraid to pitch to. He was the guy that he knew was the bottom of the ninth or in high school seventh inning. One, two balls, whatever it is, and he up to play, you lost the game. He was that guy. Well, hey, and you struck him out last year when you came off the IL. Yeah. Was, was that your first K of Manny? Uh, I'm not sure. I, I might have struck him out before, during the season, before I got hurt. And uh, it was funny because I, when I came back off the IL, I had him sign the jersey for me. <laughs> and sure enough, when I struck him out, I'm in the, the dugout. He looks over and he goes, really? Sliders? I was like, you got paid $300 million. I'm trying to get paid, too. <laughs> we all got to eat. That's right. We all got to eat. <laughs> that signed autograph jersey doesn't mean you don't get the sliders. Exactly. <laughs> That's tremendous. How about keeping tabs on some of those guys? One of our favorites, Nestor Cortez, I believe he grew up about 20 minutes from where you did, you know, in Hialeah. Yancy, do you keep tabs on on Nestor as well and other guys from the area and see how they're doing at the major league level, root for them? Of course, always. Every time I see a Miami guy or any one of the guys I've met in the minor leagues or in the big leagues now, I want them to do, have the most success ever, whether it's against me or on the same team because I'm, I'm, not, I'm not selfish, you know. I'm not trying to be better than anybody else. I feel like at the end of the day, we all came from the same background. We're just going to make it. And seeing Nestor bounce around and find a home with New York and the stuff he did last year with pitch uh, missing with timing and everything he did, I think Nestor, he's going to be a great pitcher for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. It it, it does feel – there's a lot of sustainability there now. He's put up back-to-back seasons of that kind of success. It's funny, too, because, see, I don't know if you felt this way, but last year I felt like there were still a lot of people talking about Nestor as if he was this – nice story not realizing like yes of course it's a very nice story but he's he's just a really good pitcher now yeah, yeah i mean i and for most of the summer he was you know the the best pitcher on on, on that staff yeah. so you know and held it together so um making an all-star team and and you know really having a great season so yeah i mean i think you know it's it's not it, it was a great story now they need him to be Nestor Cortez so he, so they can, you know, try to win the division. But it's cool to see him go from, you know, bouncing around Rule 5 draft, all of that, being a cool story, um, to now being one of the guys in the rotation. It's, 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 it's super dope. Yancy, we have 
enjoyed asking different guys about their thoughts about the new rules, how they're adapting to them. As a pitcher, how has it felt for you thus far adjusting to the pitch clock, adjusting to no shifts? And you had the pitch clock in minor leagues last year we a did. little bit, right? We did last year, and uh, I, I feel like for me, it hasn't really affected me as much because I obviously I did it last year, like you said, CC. And I like to work fast. I feel like for me, working fast keeps pressure on the hitter because I feel like if, if I go 01, 02, and I'm back on the bump, and the hitter calls time, I'm like, am I hit? I got him. Got him. He's nervous. He, he's he's trying to get time to see what I'm thinking in his head. What I'm going to throw, and my head, I'm, I'm got you already. It's, it's ball game. Mm. Now I got to go and make the pitch. So it's no problem the 15 second. Well, I heard a lot of guys, not a lot of guys, but just guys have been saying like, if you have to cover first base or backup bases, if you had to back up third or home, they would have liked a little more time for the clock to reset. Like if you get back behind the mound, but don't seem like you have a problem at all with it. No, but I, I do feel for that because obviously you have guys who running pass, going to cover first base or running back. You have you have those plays where you're backing up third base and short enough, the guy's going home, you got to go behind home plate with full sprint. Mm -hmm. I feel like they should at least make it some way, somehow to where until you don't get back on the mound, caught resets. Like it can't just reset right away. Because I, I saw yesterday we were watching, uh, I don't say police sack with uh, Cleveland and sure enough, he threw a pass ball, covered home plate. By the time he went back on the mound, he had maybe a good – eight, nine seconds, he just got on the mound and just, like, took the sign. Threw a pitch. Like, yeah, you know, and then I feel like that just messes his timing up, and now he's just, like, out of breath trying to make a pitch, and it can, like, shift the game, especially with runners on. I was watching that, too. I was watching the Pirates, uh, and Rich Hill was pitching, and he went, somebody faked the bunt, and he charged in to go fake to go cover the bunt. When he got the ball back and he got to the mound, it was nine seconds. Yeah. So he literally like walked to the to the to the rubber and like turned around and threw a pitch. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So we gotta we gotta like trim that little stuff around just to make it uh make it more safe for you guys for sure. Yeah. ENC to go back to the Dodgers for a second, you guys also it's not just the players who departed. You lost a really significant piece in Gavin Lux with the ACL and being out for the season. How, how has the team dealt with the reverb from losing somebody who was going to be a critical piece replacing some of the stars that you lost? I mean, I, I, it's tough, obviously, for Gavin. Just a, just a guy he is. He's a, he's a great dude, great teammate. Obviously, he's young. He's funny. He's energetic. He plays the game the right way. And last year, we saw what he could do. And I know he was excited to see the play shortstop. And I saw him catching ground balls before he got hurt. And I was like, he looks ready. He yeah, tucked in, everything looked good. And then obviously went to see him go down. And I texted him out of I was like, hey, I hope you have a speedy recovery. Hope everything's well. He said, thank you. And just seeing him in crutches, I, you know, the teammate, it hurts. Because that, that, that's one of your boys. You want to see him succeed, obviously. But then uh, uh, I know Miguel Rojas decided not to play in the WBC because he wants to spend time with the team and just like, build a relationship with us and be there for us and seeing what he's doing in spring training and just like stepping up to that role. You can tell that he wants to be that guy for us this year. And obviously we appreciate that for him, but at the end of the day, you know, we we're still hurt that we lost Gavin Lux. Yeah, for sure. And I, I was excited to see Gavin, you know, play shortstop this year and like actually get a chance to play his position. I, I feel like he was such an Uber prospect and he was so good 
that they had to call, they had to bring him up, and they didn't have anywhere for him to. He couldn't play shortstop, so they just kind of threw him all over the place because he yeah. was so good yeah. and thought that he could handle it. But I think you know, getting into his natural position, um, I was excited to see you know what he was going to be able to do for you guys. And I mean, I think he could be a guy where you don't have to go out and sign a shortstop. You know, losing Trey, it would have been fine if he would if he could have stepped up and and played like like he was projected to play, which I thought he would have done. So, you know, have to wait another year. But but I think he's going to be the shortstop for the Dodgers for sure. I agree. Mm. Yeah, see, uh, one of the things we love about R2C2 is getting to know guys' backgrounds a little bit more and, and their family influences and, and stuff of that nature. And correct me if I'm wrong, but your father opened a baseball academy in Miami. Is that right? Yeah, he had the baseball academy in the inner city in Alipata, where I grew up. And he's, he's still the same field that I was there when I was three years old, practicing with him and my older brother. And he's been there for, I want to say, a little over 15 years. That That's is incredible. awesome. So what made him uh, create the academy? And, and what's it been like watching the development and growth and him mentoring different players and, and, and what you guys have going on there, what your dad has going on there? He, he just loves baseball. Loves baseball. That 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 was his that was his thing. He as soon as me and my brother come home from school, it was just do your homework and we're going to the field. Mm. And we're in the field the rest of the day. We we're we we're both playing shortstop at the time. And he uh he'll watch he was a big Braves fan, so he'll watch games and see what he saw on TV and then try to have us do the same thing. But he's old school. He don't like the flashy stuff. He hates it. <laughs> he, hates, he hates the flashy stuff. He hates when his kids are trying to hit like Manny Machado and <laughs> Big leg kick. He's like, you're eight years old. Why are you licking? Put the hit. He's old. Hit the ball on the ground. Hit the ball on the ground. You can run it out. Hit the ball in the air. Everyone put your fly blast. It's rule. Like seven <laughs> guys are swinging under the ball, and then he pops to the pitcher. He's upset. He's really old school, but he he loves the kids. That's like that's his thing. What's the name of the organization, and how can we like help? How can people donate it to help out with the organization? It's called Phantoms Baseball Academy. And uh, we made we came with the name when I was uh, ten years old. He nice. we were a different. We were, we were called the switch hitters. He want he was big on switch hitting, so we had a whole team that switch hit. Wow! Oh wow! Yeah. We had our our ten U when I was playing. We were we were all switch hitters from one to nine. We all switch hit, and <laughs> everyone was trying to figure out if that was a coincidence or what. But they'll throw lefties. We all hit righty, and we were all natural righties except for one guy who was a lefty. And sure, they throw a righty. We all hit lefty, and they're asking my dad, "Why are you doing this?" He goes, "Because I want them to hit both lefty and righty, and show they can do both." And I, and that's that was his way of saying that you can do both and do it both successfully. You can be a really good big league player. That's that's what he said. That's incredible. So he showed us all how to how to switch it. Wow, that's amazing. So he, the the kids who are coming in there, who are on your you know under ten team. Most of them weren't coming in as switch hitters, but your dad was just like, hey, if you're playing on this team, you're going to hit lefty against right-handed pitching or yeah. vice versa. He, he forced them, and a lot, a lot of parents were upset. He's like, hey, my kid's getting out. He's, he doesn't get out like this. He goes, well, he's going to learn. And the kids the kids saw me doing it, saw the kids doing it, and we had success doing it. They're like, we want to keep doing it. They'll tell the parents we're going to keep doing it. And sure enough, gave it a year. When we were playing 11U, we were smacking teams, hitting lefty and righty. <laughs> wow that's crazy that's, that's really crazy. cool i mean those kids must have been so grateful for that experience in the aftermath even if it was frustrating at the time as they're going oh for their first 12 with 12 strikeouts <laughs> or whatever it might be but 
I, I'd imagine that in the aftermath of that, they must have been really grateful to your dad. Oh, yeah. A lot of them. I, a lot of kids now. Well, not kids are obviously adults are my age. And we played in high school. I was playing in high school. And they, to this day, they'll tell me we owe a lot to my dad for teaching them the game and not only teaching them the game, but teaching them to be young men out of the inner city and getting them out to like have a better career, better life outside of baseball. That's, that's awesome. So, that's so cool. That's awesome. Say the name of your dad's academy one more time. The Phantoms Baseball Academy. The Phantoms. The Phantoms. Nice. That's really cool. So then, uh, Yancy, I'm guessing you don't really want to celebrate strikeouts too uh, vociferously then, because if dad's watching, he's not he, he's not going to be a fan of, of of the histrionics then. He, he tells me if I celebrate, like, fist pump, whatever, I can't be mad when they hit a fine football off me. <laughs> <laughs> we can't be upset at that. It's like, you're right. That's right. That is 100%. Goes both right. ways. Exactly. <laughs> hey, see, can I just tell you, can I Can I just real quick, just uh, can Can I amuse you with a, a baseball story of my own that I wish Yancey's dad had been my coach when I was four years old? <laughs> let's okay. do it. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, Yancey, here, here we go. So I'm four years old. I'm starting T-ball, okay? And my dad, even at that age, he had you know when i was two years old up he's having me switch hit because it's like hey you know same kind of logic obviously and i'm four years old maybe i was five and i'm uh playing t-ball for the first time and my coach wouldn't let me hit lefty in the games he was like no you're better right-handed and so i just started hitting righty and stopped hitting lefty because i i wanted to switch kind of every at bat it was t-ball so there was no right-handed or left-handed pitchers and as a result, it sort of laid the foundation for me to lose my switch hitting at such a young age. I never got a chance to develop it. And I'm just thinking now, I'm like, what kind of crazy coach for a five-year-old? Like, it's one thing, like, 10, you're starting to get into, like, some of the, you know, travel ball type things. And, like, and I'm glad your dad still had the discipline to be like, these are 10-year-olds. Like, we're going to teach them the game. We're not going to worry about them getting out. This is a, somebody coaching four-year-olds who's worried about me getting out in T-ball. Terrible. Yeah, he's trying to trying to win games, guys. Terrible, <laughs> terrible. I I don't understand. I I, I don't. Anyway, he took me trying down to win. a dark path of my memories there, Yancy. <laughs> let's just say I very much appreciate your father. Um, your Instagram nickname or your Instagram name is is Showtime Almonte, and your nickname is Showtime. How'd you get that nickname? Uh, playing basketball. Ooh, all right. You play basketball in high school. I did. I did. My dad didn't like it. He didn't like no. you playing basketball, or he didn't like that your nickname was Showtime. He didn't like me playing basketball. He's like I said, he's uh, old school baseball. He's like baseball's where you're going to be at. You're just where you're going to make it. My brother was a second rounder. He's like you need to follow his footsteps and play basketball. Whenever I was playing basketball, whether it was at the park or anything, he's like, "Look at this idiot. He's going to break his ankle. Look at him. Look at him." <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I just love playing basketball. My freshman year, I learned how to dunk, and that's, and that's all I wanted to do. So I literally went freshman, sophomore year, just trying to dunk people. That's all I wanted to do. Just punch people. And he thought I was dumb. He was going to end up falling wrong the wrong way. Luckily, I never did. And um, my friends in high school was like, it's showtime. Every time I will go in this, try to like, do a little, a little dunk, windmill, whatever. And then I, it stuck with me. And I liked it. I played baseball, too. So I was good at both. But that was like, the big day that came with me. And I, you know what? I'm, I'm going to stick with it. Mm. How'd you get a little bit, though? Did you play all the way through? Did you play uh, basketball? I stopped my sophomore year. Oh uh, yeah, he, year, he shut that. Uh, Pop shut that down. Uh. <laughs> yeah, Pop, I transferred to a private school. Pop said, "Yeah, you're playing uh, 
only baseball. And the basketball coach wanted me to play basketball, but my dad's like, no, he's not doing it. I tried to do it under behind his back for a little bit, but I failed. <laughs> well, you're six five too. Were you that tall as a sophomore in high school? I was six two. I was okay. a uh, I graduated high school at six four and then I got the last inch. Like I was like before I was twenty one. Nice. I'm still waiting for that for me. <laughs> <laughs> it hasn't, hasn't happened yet. It's interesting though, because See, something you talk about a lot is the value of playing other sports and how Absolutely. it develops your main sport. And I do feel like, you know, for a while, Nancy, it was about specialization, right? And, hey, you're going to focus on this sport. This is your sport. And also, I don't want you getting hurt playing another sport. And now it does feel like the conversation's coming back to, no, you know what? Maybe it's better for you as Yancy Almonte, the baseball player, to be spending time playing basketball or other sports as well. Yeah, I agree. I think basketball helped me with footwork. Mm, so I, played, I, played center, I played center field all through my high school career until my senior year. Well, junior year, summer going to senior year is when I started pitching. But playing basketball just had that footwork and just allowed me to like, how do you say, like Chad Johnson say, have strong ankles. So, <laughs> <laughs> but I think basketball helped me. Now, I, I think I think because baseball is less athletic of a sport, mm. you know what I'm saying? It's more uh, fundamentals, it's more technical, and the other sports are more athleticism, whether it's basketball, football, soccer, whatever, that if you play those other sports, when you show up at a baseball field, you're going to be the best athlete. You know what I'm saying? Like, you, ju you just are. If, I mean, especially if the other kids only play baseball. So it, it really just helps you. Uh, understand your body and be able to to move a lot better as yeah. a kid if you play other sports. Do, do you still watch hoops, Yancy? Uh, all the time. Yeah, who's your team? Heat? Not a big Heat fan. I'm a, I'm a, I don't really say I have a team. My team was Oklahoma City, but before when they had Durant, Harden, Westbrook, Cephalosha, those were the guys I wanted to seek. I thought it was a really good team. Then they broke off, and I was like, ah. I don't really have a team anymore, but I'm a big LeBron fan. So wherever he goes, I obviously cheer for them to win. But I can't say I have a team. Well, first of all, I think that Thabo Cephalosha has never uh, been given as much credit as you just did, including him with Harden, <laughs> Russell Westbrook, and Kevin Durant. So I'm sure he is. He, you're, you're his biggest. He. Supporter by far. He was nicely done. off the bench. So yeah, 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 that's true. That's true on that finals team. Um, and this kind of works out perfectly for you then because LeBron's in LA and so are you. So you get to you get to root for the Lakers for the time being. Yes. Nice man. Um, I, uh, I I think that you know one of the interesting parts about this conversation, see is going to be seeing how it evolves in the years to come too. Because just as far as playing other sports and how it helps you and how, how development comes, because it does feel like even with youth sports, which we've talked about at times on this show, playing all year round, like maybe that's not the best way to cultivate growth within a certain sport either, because you're either going to get drained or you're going to get injured or whatever it might be. And as more conversations like this happen, does it start to trickle down to the other levels, the coaching, make you more aware of like, hey, actually, there's some value here. And maybe kids don't need to play 130 games throughout the year. Maybe it's better if they're playing 60 games, 70 games, 80 games, whatever it might be. Yeah, for sure. And I think the more, you know, more guys like Yancey that come up and yeah. that that explain that they played other sports, you know what I'm saying? The more that we get more two ways 
I feel like we're going to get more more hitters and pitchers now that Shohei's doing his thing. I feel like, you know, the game's just going to get more athletic without the shift. You yeah. know what I mean? Guys are going to have to have range and shit again. Like, the game's going to go back to what it was when I was a kid and watching it. Um, so I think you're going to have to be an athlete again. So I think it's going to go back to those two, three-sport athletes being in the big leagues. Because when I first came up, everybody that was in the big leagues, baseball was their second or third sport. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. it was like, oh, I just played baseball, but I was really a better football player. Yeah. I was really a hooper, but I just played baseball in the summer. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like, so it, it, baseball is always just that for the for the really good athletes, the afterthought sport that you always be the best one when you show up to play baseball because you you're good in these other sports. Now, I got to take you back to something you said before we get you out of here. Nancy. You talked about you didn't pitch until the end of your high school career. So youth ball growing up, you didn't pitch either. I mean, I, I pitched when I was eight years old. They had me just pitch randomly. We we, we were out of pitchers, and uh, we had a coach named Yvonne. He was from Colombia, and he told my dad, "Hey, I want to pitch." My dad said, "He's he's a shortstop. He never pitched before." He goes, "He has a good arm. Just put him on the mound." And sure enough, I went in just threw heaters, <laughs> just just by kids, and that was it. And then uh, I just came to pitch my uh, senior year of high school. We were at uh we were in Jupiter, Florida. We we're playing the Junior Olympics, and I'm in center field. Ball hit up the middle, get it, fired home play. Under Armour uh, was there, and they asked my coach, "Does he pitch?" He goes, "I I don't think so." He's like, "Can we see him on the mound?" And I hop on the mound. The following inning, first pitch was 94. No mechanics, just got in, swung it. It was 94, and then he told me after the game, hey, you, you got invited to the Under Armour American game as a pitcher. And I was like, I'm a center fielder, though. He goes, not anymore, kid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was it. Give it back. That's an amazing story. That, that really is. That's incredible. By the way, you must have had an absolute cannon in center field. I, I could throw it. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I mean, what you mean? Fucking, of course he had a fucking cannon. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I'm saying, but you think about it, like, like the the center fielder who now is, you know, a, a guy with electric stuff out of a major league bullpen, but wasn't wasn't also pitching, you know. But but like, don't going back on that guy, going back to youth sports though, another a, a guy that didn't pitch in all these fucking perfect game tournaments and all these summers and yeah, all of that, yeah, but pitching 130 like you talk about all the year round. Like saving the bullets, man. You only get so many throws in your arm, yeah. um, you know. So don't waste them all in in youth ball. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> no, they're very true. Another cautionary tale when it comes to that, or or encouraging tale. Last thing for you, Yancy. When you look at this season coming up, do you have any specific personal goals for you going into this year, coming out of the Dodgers pen? My biggest thing this year is just try to stay within myself. And just build on last year, not try to go out and be better than I did last year, but just go out there, take the ball when I get the chance, take the ball and just do my job. I feel like sometimes I get carried away with building off. All right, last year I was dominant. I'm going to go be even nastier this year. And that's when I'm going to get in trouble. So I just want to go out there, have that same confidence and just go out there and just pitch. Awesome. Well, Yancy, you've been terrific to talk with. It's so fun for us to get to know guys like you even more on this pod. We'll become fans, be rooting for that sinker out of the bullpen, and uh, have fun, have a, have a terrific season, and we look forward to catching up with you again sometime. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Man, I appreciate well. you coming on, bro. Good luck. Thank you, Dick. Thank you, team.
I really enjoyed the conversation with Yancey and also talking to a guy who hasn't had the smoothest road as far as, you know, a definitive line upwards when it comes to his major league success and the way the Dodgers totally reshaped his pitch arsenal and the success he's had as a result. Yeah, it's crazy because it's weird because the best relievers always have um, a failure story, right? Whether yeah. it's Michael, yeah, Dylan Batantis. Like these guys that that are become these super relievers always have a you know it's a rocky road to get to where to Clay Holmes you know what yep. I'm saying um, so you know it's, it's sustainable once you get to the right organization and you feel comfortable and you know you feel like you can learn um, you know it's amazing to see what he's what he's been able to do it really is and uh, and what we hope happens for all of you which is what happens to us. You hear him on R2C2, you get to know him, you start rooting for him. You're like, I like that guy. Um, And Yancey, we like you, so we will be rooting for you. You guys know the deal. New episodes every Thursday, bonus episodes as well. Follow us on all of our social media platforms. Uh, Make sure you're rating, reviewing, subscribing, especially to our YouTube page. we got a new YouTube page. You can watch episodes in full there. See, um, you're going to stay for the entirety of the Masters, or how long are you there? I'm only there Wednesday and Thursday. All right. Well, you enjoy yourself, man. Yeah, you have fun, too. I'll see you, uh, I'll see you in a couple of See you at the game. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll talk to you next week, everybody. Peace. Peace.